More than 50 years after first being imposed, sugar quotas have ended. This week, we speak with DEFRA Secretary Michael Gove and Paul Kenwood, British Sugars MD, to find out what it means for the industry and for UK beet growers. Beet producers can now be confident that their product can get to the market and be sold. We suddenly become a company that can export. Uh, We'll be a positive uh, in the UK balance of payments as we export sugar and we no longer need to import sugar. Also, the results are in, well, almost. So what next for Louth Cattle Market? We've now got certainty that we've got a market where we can sell our livestock. And with your usual agronomy and the latest from Open Field as well. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. It was 1968 when the European Union quotas on British sugar first came into effect. This week, they ended, effectively meaning the UK can produce and sell as much sugar around the world as it wants. Of course, it also means France, Germany and other EU countries can also now sell their sugar products in to the UK as much as they want as well. Does that mean lower prices? If so, can the British industry compete? In a moment, we'll hear from Paul Kenwood, the MD of British Sugar. First, DEFRA Secretary Michael Gove. We caught up with him during a visit this week to the Sugar Beet Factory in Newark. It's clear talking to the team here at British Sugar that there's a bright future for beet growers and for uh, the sugar processing industry as we leave the European Union. Firstly, the end of sugar quotas mean that um, uh, beet producers can now be confident that their product can get to the market and be sold. It also means that British Sugar has the opportunity to sell more both to the home and to the foreign market, and that can only be good in the medium to long term for jobs and investment. We are already operating in a highly competitive market. It's already the case that um, there are, uh, from France, Germany and um, uh, the low countries, uh, energetic attempts to sell sugar to um, uh, British supermarkets and to British food processors. But we more than hold our own, and I think that uh, the, the, the future is bright and the company uh, here, British Sugar, is very, very confident that it can continue to provide a good price to beat growers, which will enable them to find um, an outlet for their products. So it's great news for the factory at Newark that we are now beginning to move into more of a free market. So two years ago, three years ago, we had a fantastic crop in 2014. And because of European Union regulations, we weren't allowed to sell that to customers. There were customers that wanted to buy from us, but we're only allowed to sell 1.056 million tonnes of sugar and anything more than that, we're not allowed to sell. So we had to store 350,000 tonnes of sugar in silos and airfields across East Anglia and the East Midlands. This year we have another bumper crop and because of these reforms it means that we will be able to sell those um, those extra tonnes of sugar in the UK, in Europe and in the world. So we suddenly become a company that can export. Uh, we'll be a positive uh, in the UK balance of payments as we export sugar and we no longer need to import sugar. Uh, and this is all good for Newark and for the sugar industry. You say it's good for Newark. Are we talking, what, an expansion of operations here, extra jobs? Yeah. We, it's too early to talk about um, specific jobs, but we certainly see that this site will grow. There's capacity here to grow, and we're looking at the moment at an investment plan that will deliver volume growth in Newark, and that will mean uh, construction jobs, certainly. Um, and then after that, we'll quite possibly need jobs in supply chain, in distribution, and possibly in manufacturing. 
Just the, is there a danger that perhaps the competitiveness because of this, because of the quotas, um, could squeeze British industry? You could get foreign competitors coming in that don't have the restrictions they did previously. So we saw this reform coming um, from 10 years ago and have been working really hard to make sure that we're fit to compete in this new world. So we've invested £250 million in our factories over the last five years, a good proportion of that in Newark, and we're now one of the lowest cost processes in the world. And our farmers are fantastic as well. So they've increased the field yields by 50% over 30 years, which means that combined as an industry, we're one of the most competitive sugar industries in the world. So we have no fear. We want to compete in a free and fair market and we look forward to doing that. You know how are you doing in the short term as mm-hmm. this quota uh, changes? What about the long term? What about Brexit? Or that, does that depend entirely on the negotiations and how they go? Brexit's hard to call because we don't know exactly how it will end up but if, if I... Um, take the government's positions, then we will leave the single market, but have a grand free trade agreement where we will still have access to European markets. We have traded with our European competitors um, uh, for 40 years. We've successfully done that, and we are at least as efficient as them, so we should be able to continue to compete. Um, Around the world, we also compete with cane sugar, which is imported to this country and uh, finished and packed. Um, We have been able to compete uh, with cane sugar, and we should be able to continue to compete. The only thing that could stop us is the significant state support that you see in Brazil and in Thailand, but the government recognises that significant state support in the tariff framework which we have around the customs union, and uh, we believe that that will probably be maintained. Is it necessary for you, as far as you're concerned, to be in the single market, or could some other arrangement suffice if you want to get that access? So we've always said that we think it's for the British people and the British government to decide precisely what that trading relationship is with Europe. And whatever that trading relationship is, we've been set up to succeed. So the UK market is a 2 million tonne market. We produce about 1.25 million tonnes in an average year. We can produce up to 1.5. So we know that there will always be imports into this market. We would love to be able to be able to export. If that's not possible, um, then we will grow in the UK. So really, whatever the policy environment, we hope hope that this business will thrive and that Newark has a uh, fantastic future. And you're fairly confident, whatever the outcome, that you're positive, you will thrive in the future. Yeah, I, you can never say that for, for all time things will be rosy because, you know, they would have said that about typewriter industries back in the 30s. So you never know what will happen. But with all of the future forces that I can see, um, I do believe that there's a strong future for this great British industry. We've invested, we've built huge capability, we've got fantastic people. And I do think that, yeah, um, I cannot see a circumstance in the mid to long term where we don't have a strong future. A very positive sounding Paul Kenwood there, MD of British Sugar, chatting with Andy Marsh and before them, uh, Michael Gove, the DEFRA secretary on his visit to the Sugar Beet factory. We've talked before about the concern of the future of Louth livestock market. Well, some possible good news this week. It seems that plans to close it have been put on the back burner somewhat. East Lindsay District Council's cabinet agreed it should stay and be refurbished. It follows a consultation looking at either keeping it, moving it or scrapping it. Now, it is just a cabinet recommendation at the moment. A final decision will be made by the full council executive in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Kelly Pyatt was at the meeting on Wednesday night. She caught up with farmer Paul Barnes and first James Bolton. He's one of the auctioneers at Louth. We're highly delighted with the recommendation and um, just sincerely hope that the full council agree with the recommendation on the 11th of October. 
Would you say it's time to celebrate yet? Are you still worried that the council could go back on option three in this recommendation? I'm feeling much more positive about it, but I think we do need to get the uh, 11th of October vote dealt with first before I celebrate. And if they do go ahead with option three at the full council meeting next month, they keep saying, you know, we need to make the market prosperous, we need to make it more vibrant. Is there any pressure on you as an auctioneer to do that, if that does go ahead? Yeah, I think, I think there is pressure on us. We do need to have a look at the way we operate the market and whether we can make best use of the premises. So, yes, we've, we've got a little bit of head-scratching to do as well. And any ideas of plans that, that you would be doing for that at all, if, if it does go ahead to option three? Uh, a little bit early just to discuss it at the moment, but uh, hopefully we'll formulate something. And I guess particularly this is good news at the moment, particularly farming is facing a lot of uncertainty with Brexit and everything. But, yeah, what, what's your uh, kind of thing to that? With the market being over 400 years old, uh, it's a great historical moment for Laos and the area. Are you a farmer locally? Yes, we am locally. So do you, do you bring your stock here at all? Um, we do bring stock here and we are aiming to bring more stock here as, in, as the future moves on. And as a campaigner as well, do you think that this is good news for, for next month's council meeting? I think it is. I think it's long-term very, very good news. Um, and I also think as far as for the agricultural industry, with Brexit around the corner and uncertainty, We've now got certainty that we've got a market where we can sell our livestock. Farmer Paul Barnes there, and before him, auctioneer James Bolton, chatting with our own Kelly Pyart. It does sound positive, doesn't it? And the market could be staying, uh, but we'll uh, let you know next month once the final decision is made by the executive. I meant to say when uh, introducing the uh, potential saving of Louth livestock market a few moments ago that uh, maybe it was the result of a council U-turn. U, sheep. E-W-E, oh, forget it. Uh, here's Sean Swarling with your agronomy instead. Sean, I know you're delighted with the uh, Louth decision, aren't you? Yes, morning, Sean. Great news for the cattle and the sheep of, of Lincolnshire. Uh, I can't add any more than's been said. I'm absolutely delighted and uh, good decision to the council. Um, so let's start with all seed rate. Cabbage stem flea beetle are still out there doing their job, although it's quite noticeable there is far less damage in the clearfield varieties of rape over the conventional varieties of rape. That might just be because they're growing that bit quicker and outstripping the, the damage, but the damage is still there. So if you've still got to go and spray for cabbage stem flea beetle, remember once the plant gets to four leaves, it's when 25% of the leaf area is being affected. And remember that's new damage, that's not the damage that you sprayed for a week ago. And make sure you're not exceeding the total compound dose of individual products. Make sure you're using appropriate individual doses of those products and make sure the conditions are right when you go out and spray them and remember that if you put Centurion Max on you can use the non-EC formulations of Lambda Cyhalothrin mixed in with that um, and they're quite happy for you to do so but just be a little bit careful with the EC formulations um, and when it comes to the other problems in winter rape at the moment we are starting to pick up that little bit more in the way of foma so we said last week the weather conditions have been perfect for all seed rape diseases to proliferate if you go out there and find you can find foma remember one plant in 10 affected is your threshold really but the smaller the crop the more high risk it is from foma because it takes a very short period of time a matter of hours on a cotyledon plant for it to get from the foma lesion from get from the cotyledon down into the stem the bigger the plant the longer it takes so prioritize those smaller crops if you've got foma in them light leaf spot 
temperature's about right for light leaf spot. Um, weather conditions, moisture, perfect for light leaf spot. Keep your eyes open. If you're unsure, take a few leaves, put them in a polythene bag and pop them in the airing cupboard for a couple of days. And that will encourage the spore mass underneath the leaf to get going. Have a look online and look at the photographs. Make sure you know what you're looking at as well when it comes to light leaf spot. But it's one plant in seven affected with light leaf spot. And look at your varietal... Um, profile look at how resistant or tolerant they are to light leaf spot attack and foamer attack prioritize the worst varieties but also remember that you only get three weeks protection from a light leaf spot fungicide you don't get control you get protection so all you ever do is protect the new leaves so my advice would be if you're going to go out for foamer make sure you're putting something on which has something in for light leaf spot protection as well it would be ridiculous to go in for foamer then light leaf spot come in a week later and you have to go back again so oilseed rape is a bit all over the place but it is starting to move the slugs are absolutely causing havoc and they will do when it's wet like this but please be careful with that metaldehyde you know all the restrictions please use ferrous phosphate if you possibly can we don't want spikes in the rivers and the uh, the reservoirs so winter wheat there are people out there considering drilling um, particularly on the non-black grassland and that's fine if you've got black grassland for goodness sake hold your nerve i know it's easy for me to say and i know all the arguments because i hear them every day but if you plough and press a field and get a good even surface for that black grass to emerge. The smaller the clods, the better, because you'll break them open, release all the black grass. And this next three weeks is black grass germination period. So if you can get rid of 500 plants a square metre at least in one go and then take care of the next flush, it won't come up with your wheat. Because trust me when I tell you the only true pre-emergent herbicide which will control black grass is glyphosate. Once you've got the crop in the ground, you're relying on mixtures and you're relying on a limited effect of these mixtures, which all work a bit better when there's a few more things in with them. Use everything you have at your disposal. Remember this year, we have a liquid form of triolate, uh, Avidex Factor, it's called. It's about a 72% dose of a granule. So if you don't have access to application machinery, you don't know a contractor who can come and get it on within three days of you getting the drill in, then it probably suits you but look at the tank mixes make sure it's going to mix with what you're using if you can have access to application equipment you're probably in my opinion better off with the granule because you're putting 25 percent more on and at the end of the day cutting rates is the thing which encourages resistance so everything's happening out there just let that black grass come and don't be tempted to go drilling on that black grassland just yet Thank you, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Back to uh, British Sugar then. We've talked earlier about the end of quotas, but what about the campaign itself? Nick Morris is with me now. Morning, Sean. Now we're at, what, two weeks into the uh, the campaign now. What's, uh, what's the latest? Yeah, that's right. In fact, uh, we've been processing now for 17 days, so still very much early days as we, we are anticipating running uh, well into March. I suppose thoughts uh, firstly go through to how's the factory performing and it's fair to say throughput uh, very quickly got up to around 85% of our uh, capacity we're normally looking for uh, over the first 10 days and then at this early stage of the campaign the most important thing is to get process stability and get the factory settled which which we've now done so uh, as of uh, a week ago we were looking to get ramped up to sort of 100% of, uh, of throughput uh, as we've now found that stability in the factory. Uh, however, we are uh, starting to struggle for beet supply, and it's certainly become very limiting um, 
throughout this week. So we've only really been able to slice the amount of beat we've had, which is still around that sort of 85% of capacity, really. Any any reason for the supply? I mean, I know there's been a couple of, of bad accidents this week. Quite close, I suppose, routes into the factory. What, the A17 and the A46, for example, were close for a time, weren't they? Yeah, that's right, Sean. Uh, both aren't well. Firstly, on Tuesday, we had a road closure on the A17, which is our main feed route, really, um, from the Sleaford um, Boston uh, direction. So that did cause significant delays and uh, subsequently a reduction in the number of deliveries we received on Tuesday. And then, as you point out, on Wednesday, our other uh, one of our other major routes being the A46, which probably would carry a third of uh, the crop in into the factory. Um, was also uh, closed and caused uh, heavy reductions in the amount of beet we received. So, yeah, there are ongoing challenges coupled with the fact that we are finding lorry availability um, at this period. It's not unusual, but there can uh, often be a conflict with uh, resource in, in terms of lorries that they're still busy on. Uh, a lot of grain movements uh, you know, being quite close to harvest, uh, soon after harvest, and also fertiliser work. If you have a boat come into the uh, dock up at Immingham, then they'll be dispatching fertiliser uh, to a blend site. So I think that's um, been playing a factor, coupled with, obviously, rain. We had significant rain in September now. Uh, in fact, we had, uh, across most of the area, 10 to 15 millimetres on Wednesday night, and then, obviously, more since then. So, yeah, a few uh, challenges around, but uh, I've, I have got uh, faith that next week we'll get into a much more stable time and... Uh, uh, the crop, importantly, the, the you know growers can have confidence in the crop and the yield that's there. Anecdotally, we're getting some fantastic reports of the yield that's uh, being being uh, harvested and delivered to us so far, coupled with sugar contents now uh, nicely over 17%, so nice positive adjustment for growers there. And in fact, quality uh, is, is good despite the rain. Dirt tears are only around 5%, so um, we are seeing good quality into the factory. Um, and then I was just going to add, throughout this campaign, the British Beet Research Organisation are delivering a harvesting uh, testing programme. So uh, they will be seen out and about uh, helping increase the efficiency and crop recovery of our uh, harvesting contractors uh, throughout the season. So look forward to reporting uh, reporting on that. Uh, on to the crop. Um, it does continue to grow rapidly, obviously, with the uh, still very, very mild uh, temperatures. Um, ample uh, water availability and generally some sh- sunshine still experienced during uh, during the day then um, you know the crop is still growing growing very quickly second fungicides seem to have been very effective um, powdery uh, mildew didn't really set into the crop significantly in the uh, Newark factory area however brown rust did start to but uh, second fungicides seem to be having quite good curative action on brown rust um, so thoughts actually on the crop thereafter turn to to next year's crop so farms will be busy um, soil sampling applying limex and fertilizer for next year's crop uh, as well as uh, starting to cultivate their heavier land establishing cover crops perhaps and um, uh, really just getting the uh, as prepared as possible uh, for the following season so uh, other than that uh, yeah we look forward to uh, reporting in a couple of weeks hopefully for further 
progress of the campaign. Fingers crossed. Hopefully those supplies return as well. So uh, thank you, Nick. Thanks, Sean. Nick Morris of British Sugar. On to uh, open field then, swapping seats quickly. Henry Young joins me. Hello, Henry. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Here we are. First of October then. Yeah, hopefully hopefully Tom's out there not getting too cold running around Lincoln. <laughs> Fingers crossed, of course. Yes, he's uh, doing yet another run today, isn't he? He is, yes. Uh, so uh, we're in the warmth. What's uh, what's happening? Well, what a week it's been. Um, obviously, we've seen quite a bit of rain midweek. Uh, it's certainly put a big pause on a lot of people who've still got harvest out there. Um, I know a lot of people hope that harvest is over by the 1st of first of October, but not looking so lightly this year. Um, drilling has been underway, though, uh, with those bits of ground that, that do kind of dry quite quickly. Um, some groundwork's been going on as well. But just thinking about further north, there's still a lot of crops out there. Basically up there now it's become more of a salvage job than a harvest. Try and get in what they can um, and then we'll review it from there. Markets appear to be holding a bit of a pattern following the outcome of the USDA in September. Stocks, acreage reports in the past have thrown up some surprises, but at the moment they haven't really been. Russia continues to dominate the global wheat markets with shipments forecast to be closer to 11 million by the end of uh, last month. Uh, some comments are th- uh, the fact that the pace uh, is very um, is very quick, based also with the maize and the barley exports, an attempt to make a large dent in their kind of supplies that they've got. Despite the Russian wheat prices, they haven't moved due to the competitive price advantages over other origins, which have narrowed. Weather on the outset of winter weather allows for the current fast pace to continue, but remains to be seen. Again, remember those ports do freeze over. Bear in mind, last season, they exported just shy of 27.8 million with a mild winter. So we'll see what happens this year. Weather continues to be an issue again in Australia. Some forecasts that the wheat production could be as low as uh, 19 million tonnes. Remember, last year they had 33.5 million tonnes, which quite a lot they had to get out and export early. The UK market has firmed with the trade closer to import than export parity. This can only be a good thing for our prices. We don't want to see too much of our wheat going out because we haven't got much uh, much of that supply again with that harvest as well. Farmers at the moment aren't looking to, to load those that have got sugar beet. They are taking the sugar beet up. That is causing them to be busy, which is, of course, helping the prices as well. So having a bit of a look at those prices, October, 139 to 142. November, 148 to 141. Again, you can see that uh, October is higher than November because people need it now. May, 145 to 148. November 141 to 144. I think that November is well worth having a look at at the moment, especially at those prices. Malting barley. Basically, there has not been much happening at the moment. Consumers are quite happy just sitting out of the market, seeing what's going to happen, especially with Scotland having those problems with our harvest, seeing what quality is going to be out there, and then going forward from there. We have seen some higher nitrogens, so we'll see what happens with that market as well. The oilseed rate market, the cash market, it's just been very, very quiet at the moment. Everyone just seems to be bobbling along in the ocean like jellyfish at the moment. So again, we'll see what happens going forward. Following the Labour conference, we have seen the pressure caused on sterling, which could add some direction to the market. But again, wait and see. At the moment, further to the legal nonsense on the EU biodiesel producers have launched a large challenge against import tax on Argentinian biodiesel. It's not clear what impact this is going to have yet. Again, wait and see. Time will tell on this. Having a look at those prices, they are under pressure. I'll let you know that one before I even go there. October, 306. November, 307. May 18, 313. The bean market, again, very high brew kid. It is meaning there is little meat in that human consumption spec. 
Well, values are drifting a bit at the moment. If you need, do need to get them out quickly, look at £150 at the moment with a pound a month from there. Human consumption is £180. Thank you, Henry Young from Open Field, and more from the team as ever next week. On to the weather for the coming week then. What are we expecting? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Overcast with showers through much of today, quite breezy as well. From the south-southwest, 15, gusting at 35 miles an hour, highs of 18 degrees. Overnight uh, tonight, uh, staying overcast. Again, it will dry out for a time, but uh, further rain by first thing tomorrow, 13 the low. That wind continuing from the west-southwest, 15 gusting at 35 miles an hour. And then tomorrow, some particularly heavy rain for a time just about everywhere. Very windy as well tomorrow. From the southwest, 25, gusting at 45, maybe 50 miles an hour through the morning. As I say, particularly heavy rain, though evening sunshine once that uh, low pressure has passed over. 16 at best tomorrow. Dry and clear overnight, Monday into Tuesday, pushing temperatures down a little bit, about 9 Celsius with no cloud cover. Still quite breezy, more from the west-northwest, 10, maybe gusting at 30 miles an hour for a time. Tuesday at the moment looks like being a mostly dry and sunny day. 14 will be the high. The wind more from the northwest, 15 to 25 miles an hour. And then clouding over again Tuesday into Wednesday, but it should be dry. We've got lows down to around 7 Celsius and the wind from the west, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Further sunny spells through the middle of the week. Wednesday itself, temperatures at 15. That wind still from the west-southwest, 20 to 30 miles an hour. And then it uh, looks like more of the same, really, towards the latter end of the week. Certainly staying breezy at the moment for Thursday, maybe calming down by Friday. Possibility of uh, a few more showers, but uh, it should be mostly dry by the latter end of the week. Temperatures, uh, 17 or 18 Celsius during the day. Overnight lows of about 11 Celsius. So that's the forecast. Next week, Agricultural Chaplain Alan Robson will join us to look ahead to the Harvest Festival and thoughts on the harvest just gone, or just ending for some. Uh, That's next week. Until then, as ever, have a good week's farming.